You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie. Christy's here with me. Hello. Hey, Christy. Get back to the microphone. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Always hear you go in and out a lot of times on the recording because she's going back and forth, em- but that's okay. Emphasis on my yeah. words. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Um, so we have Denise Kendrick today, um, who we'll get to in a minute. Um, that's going to be an exciting interview, so hopefully you guys will stick around for that. But first, we have our little intro. What's our question? I have a question because the other day, um, the sun was out in the morning, and I like to open our windows in the kitchen and the front door. And even our old house, we had a bird, and the bird comes out and would chirp even when the kids were little. And I was like, so the other day, I opened the door, and I was like, my bird friend is back. And so I was thinking, what sounds make you happy? What sound? Birds do make me happy. In the morning. That's one of the ones. Oh, love it. Like last night you heard the wind. We had a big windstorm yes. that came through last night. I like lighter wind. The wind that comes gusting and then pushes on stuff. Yeah. I'm not totally a fan it's of that It's not like one. a train last night, though. Exactly. Like, it was, I was so loud. So loud. Yeah. And we yeah. had big trees that I was going, what is happening yeah. outside? Okay, oh, yeah, so. you do have trees. You have to worry mm-hmm. about them folding on your house mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, we do. So what sounds make me happy? For sure, um, birds. Oh, kids. People. People, people, because I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. And so I had a crazy weekend because we had a lock-in Friday night. And then Saturday morning, I drove with some family down to College Station to watch Joel play volleyball for tournament. Got back late Saturday night and then had Sunday morning, right? And then we had a luncheon. And so I walk into the luncheon and I must have looked tired because David looks at me and goes, you look really tired. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I was like, well, that's kind of you to notice. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, are you staying? And I was like, well, yeah, I thought, I mean, if he goes, yep, no, that's great. So I stayed for the lunch, but it's funny. I'm talking to people and I don't feel tired anymore. Like oh. just the sound of the room, yes, just listening to everybody and talking. I'm talking to people at the table and I just totally forgot about being tired. I'm just oh. re-energized. Um, and I was thinking about that later going, that totally is the textbook definition of an extrovert, mm-hmm. right? Is somebody mm-hmm. who you may be depleted, but you're around people and, Yep. You find yourself just not depleted anymore. Now I still have to have time alone because I need to replenish yeah. and rest. But I think, but even when I'm home by myself, like if Jamie's out of town or people are gone and I'm by myself a couple of days, I have to have voices in the background at some point. Like I can really? be quiet for a bit, but then I need to have voices. So because you listen to a podcast, you listen to TV. Exactly. Something. Or I put on, you know, old episode mm-hmm. episodes of West Wing or Big mm-hmm. Bang Theory or something. I just... Okay it's a big deal to me like people and so that would definitely be it be kids people those noises for sure okay now they think about what about you noises the dishwasher makes me really happy oh that's fun (laughs) I can see I love the sound of the dishwasher that means the kitchen's clean it's closed stay out of there that that is my super one of my happy places dishwasher that makes total sense Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. see that um Troy Aikman's voice Troy Aikman's voice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a comfort because it's nostalgia, too, right? I mean, he's my boyfriend. He he's your boyfriend. That's true. And everybody but Greg knows it. knows it. Everybody. Everybody but him knows, knows it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that kind of thing makes me happy. Um, fun. What else makes me happy? Um, 
what did I start with? Oh, birds. Birds. Make I mean, me nature happy. make me happy for sure. Like the sounds of nature. Some people though get nervous with wind. I have a friend that she says wind that. makes her nervous. Yeah, loud wind makes me nervous, uh-huh. but gentle wind doesn't. But mm-hmm. yeah, like what you had the other mm-hmm. night makes me a little. The nervous. crackling of a fire, an outdoor fire, an indoor fire, mm, but an outdoor fire, the crackling of that noise. I can see that. I love that. Yeah. Um, that's what I was thinking. How cool is it to think about this, the different sounds that make your heart happy? Yeah. And why? Like for yeah. some people, a crying baby, because they're currently in that situation, doesn't make their heart happy. Right. But somebody that's older is like, oh, I love the sound of a crying baby. Because that gives that means I can maybe pick it up and uh-huh. hold it. Uh-huh. Hold it. Talk about that's it. That's true. Talk with it. Yes. Um, okay. So then what smells make your heart happy? Oh, smells. Make my heart happy. Um, I would say I'm very much, when it comes to smells, it would be like an outdoorsy, fresh pine, flowers. Mm. Some people love baking. That's not, I mean, I like it okay, but that's not going to make like my heart just be mm-hmm. joyful. If for me, that would definitely say, I would definitely say pine, mm. fruity, outdoor flower, like going to the Arboretum. Oh, or going, when we go up to Colorado and we just sit in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love the smell, smell of that. Love it. What about everyday trees? things? You, you just went on a vacation, but what's everyday? Um, Everyday stuff. A clean house. I love the smell in my house when it's clean. Do you ever clean. light a candle just to oh, make it smell all like the it's time. clean, though? Yes. Like it's not really clean, but if I like candle. Yes, and, then I feel better. Uh-huh. Yes, for sure. I'll light a candle a lot while I'm cleaning because yeah. just to get it before it get me in the mode. What about <laughs> just mood. spraying Clorox on the counters? Just no, stick it in make I'm it. Not, no, you don't like the smell of Clorox? I don't. It's too bleachy or something. Oh, makes me smell like it's clean. Well, yeah. Like if I can see if your mom, I think because we didn't clean with Clorox. We were overseas so long, maybe. I don't know. Did I have Clorox in England? Well, they probably did back then. We just didn't, didn't use it, use maybe. It. Oh. I don't, know. I don't remember the corks. But, like, my husband, too, had, used to have to clean the pool bathrooms. He was a lifeguard for years and lived there. And he mm. they used to have to clean the pool bathrooms with pine saw. So he hates it now. So he can't. Because I started using pine saw when we got yeah. married. And he like was like, saw. please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Bad I was memories. Like, oh. And then he explained. I was like, oh, I can see that. You had to live with that all the time. Oh, <laughs> so, that's funny. What about so the smell mean- of gasoline? My mom loves it. I, I can't stand it. Really? Yeah, it gives me a headache. What about fresh cut grass? I'm just going through like the t- the trending things that people think about when they think of fresh smells. cut grass. I, l- I like that smell as long as I don't have allergies attached. I was like, you, you didn't sell me on that at yeah, all. Yeah, it's wavering. okay. I can do it. It's okay. But you don't but enjoy it. Like you no. won't walk out and be like, oh, no, mm-mm. nothing. Mm-mm. Cigars. No. You like the smell of cigars? No. Pipes though. I like pipes because it what was my grandpa. Like a oh, pipe. pipe. Like I remember we oh, like forgot if, about pipes. Like you because ha- people hardly ever use them anymore. But every once in a while, you like a pipe. Like it'll something will remind me of pipe. My, my grandpa smoked a pipe, and so for some, whatever reason, I like the smell of an old pipe with the tobacco in the top. You know, Ooh, that's funny. <laughs> um, what about bread? Oh yeah, I like a good. Smell we grew up um, in Plano, and whenever you would drive, we grew up back when Mrs. Baird's bakery was off of 75 oh and when yes, we were homeschooled too for amazing. a bit my mom took us to the bakery to go tour it but still you'll even when i drive by that area now i'm always like oh we don't have the smell of bread anymore because it would smell up mockingbird that whole area off of 75 because that's where the bakery was you could smell the bread for miles it was so happy i bet God, that it was, was the awesome best. yes <laughs> yes it's better being downwind from a chicken farm or something 
That's for sure. Mm, yeah, true statement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know people who lived downwind from a chicken farm. Mm-hmm. That was not fun. Mm-hmm. We we knew friends that lived um, near a um, manure farm where they, or a slaughterhouse. Sorry, a slaughterhouse. Oh yeah. And so whenever the wind blew a certain way, they would be like, "Smells like money." Because they were yeah. slaughtering the cows and getting money for it. Yeah, and that, and then you had to hear it too. That had to be the worst. No, I don't think you do. You, they didn't hear it. They All never the videos I've seen of them showing it sure seems like you would hear it. No, they never <laughs> talked about that. We're not going to dwell on that. Okay, so here, so smelling and um, sounds. Yes. So that does it make you appreciate your senses? Absolutely. What about you? Like how? Like I think of if I were to lose one, which one? Oh, would I choose to I don't lose like those questions instead? Like if I had, if would I be smelling, tasting, or tasting, or seeing? No, tasting, tasting, tasting can go away real fast. Tasting. Seeing, you would lose your. You want to lose your. Uh, eyes. No, I'm asking I, you. Like which no. one would it be? So that would be the last, right? Sight would be the last one you would want to lose, probably. It's interesting though. The Bible says, "Taste and see the Lord is good." Mm-hmm. Why is the word "taste" used? We're totally going off script. I'm not prepared for that question. That's Sorry. okay. I'm not either, but it's a good question. While the Lord is, I just the senses to me again are something that God made for us. It's so amazing, but of course the fall kind of messed up, you know. And some of us got to live, still are living with it after COVID. I know somebody who their taste is still Mm -hmm. a mess, Mm -hmm. you know. And you do feel bad about that. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. That's another way to put it. Why did God say, "Taste and see see that the Lord is good"? Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Why would He use those two? taste sensory items sensory what do you call versus it? here listen yeah mm, break or that see, down or see or no what was it taste and see, see. okay so it's not two things that we just hear. talked about right so is that how we know for sure our eyes can deceive us but if we taste and we see together that's a done deal i don't know oh, but if you go back to the fall with the fruit oh yeah go that way with it you could because you're tasting and she and she that's what she wanted she wanted to taste and see that because Mm -hmm. she we're gonna do a deep dive in that follow back on this one that's interesting (laughs) this may be a little deeper theologically Uh than we originally originally thought Uh i just think there's so many times where people are lacking senses in the bible or when god takes away a sense for some reason or he gives it back for another reason i just think it's such a part of who we are and our makeup they're so important yeah and then when you lose one even people talk about how your other senses Mm -hmm. pick up the Mm -hmm. slack on that Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing it is amazing um how god made us our brains to wire that way and john in revelation too remember he eats the scroll i don't remember that that's bizarre. We got to do a deeper We're, dive in yes. this now because now I'm intrigued more on this Bible verse in Psalms 34, taste and see. So um, in future, you know, stay tuned. That will come. <laughs> I'm totally like, yes, we got to do that. But we got to do our interview with Denise. Yes. So. But remember the point, one of the points of doing Denise's interview is for the respite night. Yes. So we, we wanna... need people to volunteer. And then if you have friends that are foster families or, you know, even if they're neighbors, they can still come. Yes. You don't have to be a member here. This is for anybody that is a foster family that needs a night off. So we're doing a respite night on April 15th, Saturday, April 15th here at Frisco First. And it's um, if you are a foster family you can, or adoptive family, you can drop off mm-hmm. all children, including biological siblings mm-hmm. um, here um, at church. We will we have volunteers that are ready and very willing and happy to care for your mm-hmm. kids in a fun, safe environment so that parents can go out and have an evening out. It's from 
um, six to ten or five to ten, five to nine. Mm-hmm. I was gonna try to get the hours right. <laughs> it's from five to nine p.m. Um, and so, yeah, if you're here at Frisco First and want to help with that, um, we would love to have you volunteer. Or if you are a foster or adoptive family, we would love for you to come and register. You mm-hmm. can go to our web- website, friscofirst.church, and mm-hmm. it's on there. You can just hit go in the search and go respite night. And, um, and if you know anybody, your friends if would you love know anybody. you. Those families would adore you more Yeah, <laughs> just by telling them about this event. Yes. Because everybody needs a break. Would. That's absolutely correct. So um, we are going to go ahead and introduce Denise then. Hey, we are sitting here with Denise Kendrick from Embrace Texas. She's the executive d- director there, and we are happy you are here with us. Thank you for coming. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yes. The reason we have you um, here is for one of many reasons, but we're doing a respite event in April for you guys or with you guys, which is where we provide just a nice getaway for families, but it's a safe place to where families with foster kids can come Um and have a date night. And it seems to be that they're usually big events and lots of people come out for them. They get excited about it. Um, but tell us more about Embrace Texas, what you do, kind of how it how it all came about. Sure. I This is your to. baby. It is. Yes. Yeah. I'm one of the founders. Yeah. So um, we go way back, my family with Frisco's First, because this was where we attended youth ministry and mm-hmm. we're in young married's class when my husband and I first got married and we became foster parents while we were members here. And so as a family, that's kind of where our journey began is just deciding that we would use this empty bedroom to glorify God and just entrust him with our family and say yes to some little people joining us. Mm. And so we were here when we had our first little um, foster ones in and out of our home. That's awesome. And uh, it, it was, it was great and hard yeah and and terrible and joyful and all those things mixed up together so were you two on the same page like before like you're dating and you're about to get married and it's one of those things like oh I want to foster I want to foster how do you come into knowing or having a desire to want to foster how does the Lord work in your heart we did not talk about it before we got married we knew we wanted a family and so uh we had our first daughter when we lived in a little one-bedroom apartment and we were in college and when we moved into our first little house, it was a sprawling 1,300 square feet. Mm. Um, and we just decided really very early on when we had very little in our lives, very little time, very little resources or expertise or anything like that, that we were just anything we had, we wanted to ask God, you've, you've blessed us with this. How can we use it to glorify you? Mm. And so really in earnest, I would say that started with that little house and it was a three-bedroom to bath and had our daughter in one bedroom and us in the other and then just this empty bedroom and so we just started to ponder what can we do with that space and I came to my husband one night and said hey what do you think about being foster parents and he said that sounds great I think you should do that you Uh, should do that (laughs) (laughs) yes maybe not fully understanding neither of us Uh knowing at all what we were signing ourselves up for yeah and so we went to a little info meeting at Buckner one night and they sat down across this desk from us and said, what makes you think you'd be good foster parents? What makes you think you would be great for these traumatized children? And we just looked at each other and we were like, is this an interview? Are we, are we being weeded out right now? Yeah. Uh, and those were questions we really hadn't asked ourselves other than just a willingness to give our family to a child. Mm. So how old were you when you guys were like, okay, what can God do with this space? That's a very yeah. amazing, mature, moving thing to say. Ah, uh, we were babies. Yeah, we were 21. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So were you in school? 
You were in college? Uh, I was. I had just graduated college, and um, Bruce was still in school, and then we had a one-year-old at that point. You had a one-year-old, and so you're staring at your space and say, how can we fill this space? And you go to Buckner, you go through the interview, and then mm-hmm. and then after we, that... We made the cut. May, I was going to say, they didn't <laughs> say, oh, you're done. They said, no, we're giving you a child. Yeah, pretty much. And so we went through um, a few months of training there, and there's a whole you know licensing process you have to go through with fingerprinting and background check and all that vetting that goes on and a lot of training just to help us understand the situations that cause kids to be abused and neglected and then how that shapes their brains and their hearts and their development so that we would be better prepared to welcome kids from hard places into our home but there's really your training comes on the job there's nothing that can prepare you I was going to say do you feel like um, those were helpful do you think were those classes helpful it started to open our eyes and realize that even though we had this little girl in our home that we were raising, that we should not expect that kids who would come into our home would function in the same way. And just to understand how much, even as naive little parents, parent, you know, making all those bumbling mistakes you make as a first time parent, just the consistency of being there for her and her needs being met, how different that was for kids who have not been well cared for, for kids who have been neglected and haven't had that kind of trust with a caregiver. Uh, how dramatically different, even as, I mean, we were fostering infants and toddlers at that point, and that there could be such a difference in, in a one-year-old who had been cared for and a one-year-old who had not been, um, was devastating. Mm. Oh, wow. So your daughter grew up, so do you ever distinguish like your biological daughter versus foster kids, or is that a... Mm, only on podcast. <laughs> only on podcast. Okay, thank you. Okay. Not when we're just out in the world. Right. <laughs> okay. That's good. Well, I have heard people say, like, this is our foster kid. Is that something that if I'm If I'm talking to other people kind of in our community who know the lingo, I might differentiate. Mm-hmm. But just in talking, I don't say, well, this is my oldest child that's adopted or right. um, unless it's pertinent to the conversation. Yeah. And we do try to be confident in that because we also don't want to attach shame to the, the whole concept of adoption and, like, it's some secret thing. It's not. A lot of my kids don't match me. And so um, we're a little walking billboard for foster care and adoption. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. That shame attached to even adoption. Because I feel like back in the day, like if somebody was adopted, they didn't want to tell anybody. Like it was one of those things that you don't. They didn't even want to tell their child who yes. was adopted. Like, yes. point. like I you remember hit it from them. Yes. I have moved past that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I yeah, am too. That is weird to think about mm-hmm. how much we've, how far we've come. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So that's case number one. Your first, I mean, how many kids have you fostered? The first child was another little girl that you fostered, a little Mm -hmm. boy. And how long did you have that child? We had him for nine months. And in that time, I found out I was pregnant. And so with number two, number two. So he's, he was the exact same age as our daughter. They were both 13 months old when he came to stay with us. It's like you had twins. Yes. Yes. But um, it could be no more different in behavior and personality and looks um, and so, yeah, we had a double stroller before we even found out we were pregnant with our second child. And then he came to the hospital and wore a I'm a big brother t-shirt along Aww. with our daughter. And uh, he was reunited with his sister in another foster home shortly thereafter. They had been looking for a foster home that could take both of those children together. And so uh, he moved shortly, shortly thereafter. So how was that to let him go? Uh, it was hard. And then also it was bittersweet because his older sister had cared for him when he was little bitty. And so we knew that she was grieving that role and missing him. 
Uh, he was so little, he probably didn't really know the difference, but it's important. Those, those sibling relationships, those are the longest relationships of our life. Mm-hmm. So I tell my kids, y'all got to get along because when me and dad are dead and gone, this is who you have as each yeah, other. Right. Longer than me and him have been together, longer than we will be together. So it's just so vital that siblings be able to have that relationship. So we were happy for that. Uh, it, he, he was a challenging little fellow. And so there were in some ways it was a relief, but we had just committed to be there for him mm. as long as he needed us. And so we did not know at the time that that meant through have, you know, adding a second child to our family. And so he was just along for the ride for all that. And so were we. Cool. Wow. And so then to Christy's question, you, so then you have your second biological child mm-hmm. and then how does that, how does the foster, um, fostering kind of play out after that after, cause now you have two. Yeah. We just kept on trucking. Yeah. And so we took a little break after our second daughter was born and, uh, moved to a slightly larger house. And then we just had that. Cause we, you had more rooms now. Oh, we did. And we looked at each other and we were like, dear Lord, what are you doing now? Please prepare us for whatever is uh-huh. ahead. Just with the anticipation that there was a reason he had entrusted us with one more bedroom and a playroom. I mean, it was, uh, we thought there's big plans ahead for us mm-hmm. with this. And so we took a little break and just kept on fostering. And so we looked up one day and had six kids under the age of six. Oh, my goodness. And it was, whoo, I would not go back to those days, but we survived. It was really a handful. So do you do you have a hard time saying no? Like when they call, yes. right? That's what I'm yes. picking up from what you're saying. Is that your heart is so nice and tender and kind that you're like, yes, we will take it. Where some people might be like, this is all we can handle. But you're kind of like, nope, we can, we'll just, we'll bust at the seams. We're definitely always pushing the the envelope of (laughs) of, can we handle this? Uh, You know, in most relationships, like someone is uh, the gas pedal and somebody is the brakes. And the trouble is my husband and I are both all gas pedal. And so, you know, we really uh, do have to be cautious and sometimes check ourselves because, and once you get in that rut sounds like a negative thing but once you get in the habit of Mm. saying yes and just realizing like god's not asking me to be all these kids need he's not asking me to make enough money to provide all the meals for these children or the clothes on their back you just start trusting in him even more and more because that's the only way it 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 can continue it's the only way it could possibly be working out Mm -hmm. it's not me and my husband and how strong we are how, how much we can provide it just you're all jesus at some point Mm -hmm. and so then it's a little bit easier to just stay there so I'm sure there were times, like you mentioned, like money and clothing, like, Lord, you're still giving us kids. They're still coming. Do you have any cool stories about that where it was tight on a budget or clothes or I'm sure you have a lot. So yeah, like, let me go you're through my roll it, it is, it is a long, there are many, many stories. This is going to make me all teary now oh. because well, there's Kleenex um, right in the yeah, middle of the table. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm probably going to need that. Uh, there have been a lot of years being in full-time ministry and ultimately, We'll get to this probably later about Embrace, but quitting our day jobs to raise support as missionaries Mm -hmm. and found the organization where uh, things were beyond stretched and our kids were getting free lunch at school. Mm -hmm. And just, just about the time I felt like I was at the end of my rope every single time God showed up and not just for what was the desire of my heart or for what we really needed. It didn't just close a gap. It was always abundantly beyond what I would have dreamed. Mm. Uh, so mm. one story of that. I'm like, yeah, this is going to make you come on, Denise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my oldest daughter, biological daughter, 
uh, she was the oldest child in the home at this time. Her birthday is Halloween. Mm-hmm. And so she grew up, my husband was in student ministry. And so we hosted like a, a fall festival, like many churches do. And she thought that was her birthday party. <laughs> yeah. She thought like 300 people showed up every year and there was four bounce houses and a hayride for her birthday. So that's just kind of how she was raised is just thinking the whole town came out for Macy's birthday. Uh, but when she got to be about eight or nine years old, maybe 10, um, she was still dressing up for Halloween and we were always like pulling things out of old boxes and what old crunched cowboy hat do we have? And I hope somebody wants to be a ghost because I, I was not yeah. going out mm-hmm. to, um, buy, you know, off the rack Halloween costumes. And she said she wanted to be a peacock. It's like, wow, I've got quite an inventory of like Western wear, old jerseys. What, where are we going to get? I have nothing. Peacock feathers. I've got nothing to pull out of my hat here. <laughs> yeah, for peacock, I don't have those laying around the house. Um, and it just really grieved me. You know, sometimes like it's it's like it's a Halloween costume. But for in this case, it just really grieved me mm-hmm. that this one thing I could not provide. And I just mm-hmm. couldn't figure out a way. And so I went to Goodwill and was just sorting through the racks and was not even in the Halloween costume area and there was what was probably like an ice skating costume, dance costume or whatever or a dance costume that was a peacock just this yeah. little sequin Aww. turquoise and purple with a little tail and all these details and just like flowy little arms on it and just so sweet and right there I just like busted down crying of in the course. middle of goodwill because <laughs> like yep. God cares about a little girl who wants to be a peacock I mean yeah. um And so in those, you know, maybe we almost got the electricity bill cut off that month, but he really saw what was the desire of my heart and, and just showed up in, in small ways and big ways. So we've never gone hungry. My kids have never gone without anything they needed. Uh, and that's 100%. Just and your daughter God's would have provision. been okay if she wasn't a peacock, but you, now you get to tell the story yes, of yes. how God and spoke to you. Really, that was for you, wasn't it? Yes. Don't you think? Yes. I mean, yeah. He wanted to be extravagant in yeah. that moment, and he knew that was what I needed because yeah. she was really used to, she would wake up one morning and we would be assembling bunk beds in the corner of her room, and the room that was hers is now theirs and mm-hmm. rearranging, and so that had been since her infancy, her story. And so I probably was especially cognizant of what, sure, when she would express a want like that, a little dream of, of being able to follow through with it. So, well, it sounds like you have sweet. to balance those. It is a sweet story. Um, you have to balance the uh, biological kids with the foster kids and their wants and their needs so that, that they don't feel like they're getting pushed aside. Yeah. Right. It, there seems like there's a dynamic there. Um, I, I used to coach with a guy and he was one of two biological kids in his house, but then his parents had six foster kids and he, if you just talk about fostering or adopting and he hates it because he always says, my parents made me feel like, like I wasn't enough. His walk away with fostering was like, I wasn't enough. Why'd you have to bring all these other kids in? Mm. And so I've had that kind of playing in my head. Like, that's a horrible way to live. Like, how do these parents make him feel but it sounds like it's a big burden to carry in in juggling those dynamics right because you seem very cognizant of your your daughter having a very small want for y'all for you but a big one on hers but to go I need to I need to make we, it would be great to make that like happen this for matters her. and because even she just been matters yes right like there's yes. things that just her life is always like oh something else we're bringing another kid so that's a good question how did you balance that because it seems like you were very cognizant of that oh man I, I would say 
when we talked about becoming foster parents, probably the number one pause that anyone who cared about us and our little family and our children, whether that was a family member or friends, was, well, what about your kids? Mm -hmm. And you're bringing in this unknown, these children, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to protect you and yours. And and that was out of love and a feeling of protection for our family, I think, is where people were speaking from. Um, And that was a risk that we were willing to take. And we knew that there would be there would be all of these unknowns and that there would be chemistry that would be upset every time. And you were the oldest child yesterday and now that you're the youngest and, or you're somewhere in the middle. Oh, that's true. And Just even your family birth order could change in mm-hmm. 24 hours. And sharing your room is one thing, but sharing yeah. your grandparents. Yeah. That's a toughie. Yeah. And, and just all of and those, cousins. Yes. Ooh, all of it. Cousins, because of course, yeah. when we have these kids join our family, they're, they're full on. It's not foster sister, foster brother, they're, they're our kids. They're your mm-hmm. siblings for as long as they're going to be here. So we just really uh, tried to coach our kids' hearts to get there and ultimately not up to them about what we're going to do as a family. We did try to seek their input on, hey, we're thinking about taking a little break or, hey, we've had some big kids in the family. What do you all think about have some, having you know some little ones or maybe even a baby and kind of shifting gears? Because while a baby is far more exhausting for me who's getting up in the middle of the night, just... Mm-hmm. As far as a new little person, there's a lot of grace that can be given Mm -hmm. to a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. and so um, sometimes we would switch gears like that. So how, um, you said you have, do you have six now? How many do you have? How many, um, I have nine kids. You have nine. Mm -hmm. Okay. And are, is that a mix (laughs) of biological and adoptive, Mm -hmm. but is there biological adoptive and foster or what is your, we are not fostering anymore. Okay. Officially. (laughs) (laughs) She's saying that for right Uh now, now. but you have nine. So how many are biological? How many? So we have four biological kids and that's just adoption lingo for people we made the old fashioned way Yes, versus ones that joined our family by adoption yes. or uh, you know, love just bringing in, yeah. whether official or not. And then we have uh, five kids who are adopted. And so um, they are 30, 26, 20, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 9 right now are their ages are everybody's ages mm-hmm. and so in the middle of taking of changing rooms around adding bunk beds, all this stuff, you're actually pregnant four times too. Mm-hmm. So I did not have great pregnancies. The idea of having so many in and out through my house, so I'm pregnant, it exhausts me just saying that. But how did you manage? So I'm just going to ask you, managing that health stuff, pregnancies, all the different kids, the dynamics Christy was talking about, and your marriage. You're married. I, you're still, 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 you're still I, married. I think we're going to make it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a lot. Like, it's a lot of plates to keep yes, spinning. Yeah. Uh, we really do prioritize our marriage, and that's been something that there have been times when that fa- that's fallen by the wayside, and we definitely have felt because of kids and work and ministry and all these things that, like, we were more partners than spouses and that has never been a healthy place for us to be and so when we look up and I realize gosh I feel like you're my roommate not my lover Mm -hmm. then we've got to we got to pour some more energy into that and maintenance is the easiest way to keep that on track and so we do really try to be intentional about date night and not you know like we're going out for steak and a movie or any of those things where you're going to get dressed up and uh we just redefined what date night meant. And for a, for a long time, we were, we had just adopted our oldest son. And so he was 16 years old. And then we had, um, 
a six, four and two year old still at home. And so he really wasn't in a place to babysit, babysit. But after we put the littles to bed, we would tell him, okay, you can watch one episode of a show or something. And we would go running together. We were like training for a 10 K or something. Mm -hmm. And so that would be our date. And we would run. I don't even know that you could call it running. We would move our bodies very slowly, (laughs) long distances, (laughs) still talk and and just talk the whole way and just talk and catch up with one another Mm -hmm. because we just felt so much pressure if it was like babysitter and out the door Mm -hmm. and trying to get somewhere and trying to it was just too much and date night doesn't have to look like no some template yeah yeah I think that's great advice you can make it what I know my husband and I when we would put our three down that's what we would do too because we felt like it was a lot of pressure it was hard too and plus like I was a stay-at-home mom we didn't have an endless supply of money it's Mm -hmm. expensive to go out to dinner all the time so we'd put him to bed and we'd make a nice meal for ourselves and we'd sit at the table and we would talk so we wouldn't eat with the kids like once a week we would just eat on our own um, we still do so that I think in public that's great sometimes. We'll be at like yeah. Chick-fil-A and we'll go sit at a little table yes, across and put the, them. And if they come over to ask for, hey, can I refill my drink or can I get whatever? I'm like, we're on a date. I can't. <laughs> you're not even here. Go back to your kid table. And figure We've it out. We've got visual. I don't yeah. want to hear or see what y'all are doing yeah. over there. So. Oh, I, I think like that. that's, that's a great idea. I think mm-hmm. that's great advice, whether you have a lot of kids. Or Abandoning just your kids in public. <laughs> I've got that's full great. of great advice over Absolutely. here. Absolutely. <laughs> Chick-fil-A, you're safe though. Yeah. So that's good. You did mention for both of y'all to quit your day job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what, what was it? So were you working outside the home and uh, pregnant and bringing in foster I, kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sort of what? all those things at once. How do you do that? Not, well, don't sleep for a few years as part Holy of it, which cow. that's not healthy. So I'm not really actually suggesting that. But, okay. Um, so we really, as Embrace kind of started to grow, we were volunteers at the time. And we really had built Embrace because it was something that we needed. We knew our families were incredibly supportive and both lived locally. And so they were able to help us out a lot. But what we were seeing, the kinds of behaviors and challenges and the kids that we were parenting that were coming into our home were unlike, this wasn't just, gosh, this is a tough kid to potty train or Mm -hmm. the things that you, if you were in a mommy group, which I was, you know, you would typically talk about. And so this is like kicking a hole in the wall. This is like spitting, biting, like this is extreme and it doesn't stop easily right it's not like you can rectify it with a timeout but yeah give us some examples and and what looks like anger could be fear we had Mm -hmm. kids that hoarded food we had and so there's all this underlying trauma to explain a lot of these behaviors this this kid isn't trying to ruin your life or burn down your house they just really are afraid and have been through so much and so we really felt like we needed to be surrounded by other people who were on that journey who really got the way that we were parenting Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we, we didn't know anyone else who was foster parenting. And so we started a support group and then we learned how to host respite nights, like the one y'all are going to be hosting soon here. Uh, because we can't just hire the teenager when you're a foster parent, you can't just hire someone to babysit. They have to be background checked and fingerprinted and go through training and CPR and first aid and all this. And so, uh, we could rarely leave home. And, um, so respite nights kind of came out of that, but we started as volunteers doing all of those things. And it just grew and grew, and really others across the state were saying, how are y'all hosting these respite nights? Y'all are photographing and recruiting adoptive parents for kids. And we realized that Embrace, it was already named that, but as volunteers needed our full attention. Mm -hmm. And so we went to elders at our church where my husband was on staff and just some really wise, godly people and said, hey, we're thinking about this. And I don't know that we had a one that said, "Mm, I don't think so. And that was scary. That affirmation was real scary because I had a a growing graphic design business Mm -hmm. and my husband for the first time was really, I mean, he was just recently out of college and so had, um, you know, stable employment and 
had kind of put down roots and were afraid of what that might mean for our family to take the bull by the horns. So when you say you were working outside the home, he was a pastor Mm -hmm. and then you were doing graphic design. Mm -hmm. And so then you, you had your kids and your foster kids trucking along you created this kind of volunteer network then at the time, Mm -hmm. which you labeled embrace is what you're saying. And then after that, you're going, okay, this needs to be more right. People are needing our help Mm -hmm. to kind of make this more statewide or wherever it goes. How do we do that? And that's when you went to the pastors and asked their advice. And as a whole, they're all like, Oh yeah, drop what you're doing, drop your jobs, do this full time. That's the affirmation you were getting that you're talking about. Yep, pretty much across the board. How did you, you wow. walked out of that meeting and did you and your husband look at each other like, did that really happen or? A little bit because yeah. these are people, they're the kind of folks that we were asking were kind of naysayers to begin with because we thought if anyone is going to be bold enough to go, guys, this is a harebrained idea. Like think about your family. There's no, how financially, how are you going to do this? They were the kind of, that was the mm-hmm. kind of people that we asked. We didn't need any more cheerleaders going like, yeah, y'all can do it. Uh, and so. Which is very wise of you to approach those people. I mean, that I, maybe, was, maybe that was wise. Out. Maybe we were looking for someone <laughs> yeah. to say, yes. no, just keep on fostering yes. and keep it to a little volunteer effort. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately with that much affirmation and a clear leading from the Lord that this is what we were supposed to be doing, it was pretty unprecedented. So we went to, uh, I think we went to Arkansas to the same support raising kind of camp that like Campus Crusade and, mm. and international missions folks go to, to learn how to raise your support as missionaries. And it was a little weird because they were all kind of with sending organizations and they were like, who is sending you? And we were like, well, it's well. God. <laughs> and and yeah. so that, you know, that was a little bit unprecedented, but we mm learned how to do that and started. And that was another level of affirmation, I would say, as we kind of took on that support building model where you have to get to a certain point before, like if you don't get to 50% of your support raised in a year, probably you have no business going into the mission field. And so we set some milestones like that and we just kept hitting them one after another. Mm. And so that was another just affirmation that these people um, so many friends and family members, and you taught me in second grade, hey, can we sit down and talk about us going into the mission field, and would you support that? And and just having, it was a real humbling process, but having okay. that army of people behind us praying and invested was like nothing else, just yeah. incredible. That's awesome. That That's is great. awesome. Okay, so y'all start, so you hit your milestones. Mm-hmm. And then what does that mean after Most that? Most of them. Most of them. <laughs> Enough to co- to uh, confirm mm-hmm. that God still wants y'all in the mission mm-hmm. field. So then what happens? Like what's the next phase? You put it out there to more. You uh, partner with churches. Mm-hmm. Well, because our church was already on board and they really were kind of sending us in that same way too and supporting us. They knew that there would be a phasing out. And so they were already working on a replacement for my husband's position and then I just started winding down the graphic design business as I could, you know, because it was pretty much, um, you know, I could call the shots on what contracts I took and didn't. And so, um, yeah, we started pulling a small salary from our support and we were up under the financial umbrella and kind of oversight of the elders of our church. And we did eventually go out and become our own 501c3 as we started to look at building staff and the budget got more and more complex. They were like, hey, you probably need to mm. get yourself a full governing board and, and um, for, you know, formally become your own organization. And so we so how many people point. do you guys have on staff and Embrace at this point? Uh, there's six of us on okay. staff. So we've got two full-time people and four part-time folks and then just a lot of volunteers who are in and out of the office 
um, in the house and everything on a daily basis. And so you exist solely, Embrace exists solely from um, donations, um, volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that work? If somebody wants to give to Embrace, what do they do? We have a lot of people who give on on a monthly basis, just ongoing, you know, or they decide to sponsor something like they'll say, hey, I want to scholarship a mom to attend a mom's retreat. So, you know, a foster or kinship or adoptive mom can join for that weekend of recharging and training. And so and then a lot of people just give with their talents. If they have a skill, they'll come and help out with something. We have people who mow the lawn. We have a house. Uh, we've we officed in McKinney for a long time down on the square up on the second floor. Mm. Um, because the rent is real cheap up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we were in this little bitty closet, basically. And um, without going super deep into this, CPS and foster care in our state is in the midst of a real crisis. And so children that they could not find placement for were living in CPS offices. And I'm not talking for a night or two. They've been removed from their parents. There's no one who can take them in. And they were spending weeks and months living in an office building off 35, living in extended stay hotels. And so... Who would stay with these kids in the extended stay hotels? Caseworkers on a mm-hmm. rotating basis. So every four hours, they're swapping. During snowpocalypse a couple years ago... Yeah. There were kids in the, in the office, offices in the oh. offices when that happened. And that's because yeah. there's not enough families that want to, or not enough families to foster, to foster kids. Mm-hmm. And essentially, and, and the families we have, like if you look on paper, it might look like we have sufficient families, but there's a mismatch between the kids that are coming into foster care. So we have a lot of folks who are open to younger children and younger kids, infants, preschoolers, they're at higher risk for abuse and neglect. And so they're, that is the largest portion of kids who are coming into foster care because mm-hmm. they're so vulnerable. But we have a lot of teens and tweens, and they're hard to find placement for. And so wow. we definitely need many more foster families. So in the meantime, that brings me back to why we purchased the property that we're on now. And so um, let's see here, in late 2021, uh, as the dust kind of settled, as that crisis had kind of built to a point and leveled off, and we knew that there was going to be several kids every night in a hotel in Collin County, we went ahead and invested in a property in um, McKinney. And so now we have a little house, and the kids who are waiting for placement can come stay with us in the house. Oh. And so it is still wake staff 24 hours rotating off and on. There's not like a house mom. We do have a house manager, and she's there like when the kids come home from school, and she's helping them make the menu, and hey – Do you need some help getting your laundry done? Because it's teenagers who don't do their laundry. You know, those kinds of things. Being a familiar face, planning outings and activities for them while they're there. And then behind the house, there's, um, we call it a carriage house because that sounds nicer than an enclosed garage. But that is ultimately what it is. And that's where our team works. So we're on on site, just right across the fence in this backyard. Yeah. So are there legal... Are there laws that go into having a house like that? You probably can't have them more than like 30 days, right? Is like considered like an emergency shelter? Well, they kind of fall into a legal limbo when it comes to CPS because it's not a licensed placement. And so it doesn't count in the same way that like being in a residential treatment center or being in a foster Uh home would. They're just kind of lost in space while they're waiting for placement that's so, and so interesting there aren't limits for how long that they can stay wow because I worked at a shelter when I was for abuse kids runaways and ours was 30 days and then if they're staying longer you get special caseworkers had to get special permission mm-hmm. for them to stay after um, that kind of thing but then there's the levels you know of kids the difficulty depending on their trauma mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. and so we had 
the lower levels that we could handle, of course, the higher levels do end up in residential treatment, that kind of thing. But what you're telling me is not something I've heard before. Like, mm-hmm. so literally, I guess these caseworkers are saying they can pull them from their home and they kind of don't even label them as something. They kind of just, there's this empty space they can put them in while they're waiting. Pretty much. There's not like a clock ticking. There's not so a what happens if, to how many I mean, days. I hate to ask this question, but I'm just curious. What happens if something happens to a kid or to a child that you guys have in the house? Like say they're playing outside and the child breaks their leg. Like, oh, uh, well, we have really great insurance <laughs> okay. and great volunteers, but also they're, they're, the state Covered. is their legal parent at that moment. And so we are not, we're not charged with their safe, safety. So the limbo doesn't, the limbo, there's no issue. There's not a as danger not for you guys with us. Right. Okay. We're, we're facilitating, we're providing the location and the helping resources. The state yeah. Yeah. And so we don't, uh, we don't take any tax, any taxpayer dollars. We don't have any contracts with the state. Mm-hmm. We only have memorandum understanding. And so, um, that gives us a lot of freedom. Yeah. And so we don't contract with them. Um, but they're still doing spot checks, right? They're just still they're coming there all and the doing... time. Okay. Yeah, CPS is there often. are there all the time. Okay. But, and we do have, and there's security too, because we are, it's the most intense level of kids that we have in the house. Oh, okay. So yeah. Little, littler ones and lower levels of care. Um, kids who have less physical or developmental or behavioral challenges, they're more likely to be placed directly with a foster family. Whereas the kids that are coming to us, they're usually coming from inpatient psychiatric or juvenile justice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's Denise, a, it's a phasing a down. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. But there, do you max the amount of kids in your home, in that home? Like four? We do. And five? it depends upon the needs of the kids too. So yes, it's usually oh. just only two or three, but okay. it depends upon gender because the layout of the house and there's a share, there's a Jack and Jill bathroom and some logistics like that, that we have to mm-hmm. think through. Um, but we can have both boys and girls and we can have any age, but it's almost exclusively teenage girls. That's amazing and, and that you're that doing that. And all that comes along with yes. teenage girls. Yes, so. all the drama and the emotions. And that's fun with yeah. going to get nails done and hair done. And we, mm-hmm. we had one little gal that sadly was there over homecoming. Mm-hmm. So we helped. We were chatting about mums earlier. Helped mm-hmm. her get her little homecoming mum and get ready for that. Sweet. Which we, we were grieved that she was with us. But at least we were able to provide some normalcy sure. in that. So she could just show up at the dance like everybody else yeah. and fit in for a little while. So I bet she was so thankful for that. I mean, maybe not in the moment, but maybe later on. It's all the things that you just don't see that we, we live in an area where like, oh, there's, you know, the kids are taken care of Mm -hmm. and you know, we have a lot of wealth around here. We have a lot of intact homes and family and it's all the things people like you that are doing amazing stuff for these kids. But even then what I'm hearing from you is there's still a huge need for more. Yeah. There's like, there's not what we see on the surface is not even close Mm -hmm. to all the need that we have around, but. Well, you said that about the area that we live in and at one point in the last couple of years, like the homeless rate for Frisco ISD students was like through the roof because mm-hmm. yeah. they're living out of cars and hotels. And so they consider that homeless. How does a kid get into the CPS system? Like what does it take for them to be removed from their home? Yeah, Random question, question, but I've always wanted to know. Well, our legislature. So my kids can go. Oh, Mom, qualify. we're out. Peace out. Dang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the legislature just rewrote the definition of child abuse. Okay. For the state of Texas, and that raised Who was the that? bar. Um, Some lobby won't answer that. I don't know. Okay. Okay. 
That's good. <laughs> I'm not going to make political statements That's here. Fine. I'm just making statements about the fact. But yeah. um, they rewrote the definition of child abuse and it ra- it raised the bar, which sounds like a good thing. It's a bad thing because it, the threshold for what, oh. what qualifies as abuse or neglect was much higher. And the child has to be at imminent risk of, they have to be experiencing physical harm. And so where they would have investigated and probably removed more children, the numbers of removals have gone down. Because they don't meet that high standard now. Right, right. So the the state is removing fewer kids. They're already not being able to remove kids as quickly or Mm -hmm. when they needed to, and now it's harder. And if a child is over the age of 13, a judge has to sign on the removal, and that used to be just the decision of an investigator. They could Mm -hmm. walk into a situation and say, this is not safe, Mm -hmm. and law enforcement would remove the kids, and that's not the case anymore. And so back to kind of the mismatch of who is opening their home to foster and the needs of these kids – that's contributing to that because by the time kids are removed, by the time it's gotten that bad, their, their, their mental health, their physical mm-hmm. health, all of that, how far behind they are in school, their whole situation has deteriorated so much that it's really hard for them to join a typical family. Yeah, And so um, they, they do have higher incidence of um, incarceration and you know, drug use and, and just really tough behaviors because yeah. of what all they've been through. Yeah, I was, I'm helping someone, a friend with some, you know, with um, her kiddos and it's been impossible. What do you mean? No, her own, but it's a, I can't get into too much detail, but what you're explaining though is why like a judge wasn't signing off very quickly Mm -hmm. on some things. Oh, I see where you're going with that. And I was like, I couldn't believe it because the things that were happening, I was like, there are police reports, there's all these things, but the way you're explaining it, well, that explains Explains it. it. That's the bar. I was like, they have. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's frustrating, but so I'm sitting here processing. (laughs) And I can get all worked up talking about this. I'm like, right now, but, um, because it is a travesty, but I think our, our, our infuriation can only go so far mm-hmm. until we look in the mirror and we say, hang on, what can we I entrusted do? the state. We thought, we thought they were going to be acceptable parents. And really this is, this is not even just a calling mm-hmm. on the church. It's a mandate. Mm-hmm. And so until we're caring for our vulnerable families and our community well to prevent abuse and neglect and poverty and all of those things, and then caring for children who need to be cared for, we I feel like we don't have a leg to stand on when Preach. it comes to criticism. Oh my gosh, that's so well said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Say more You're about right. how the church can help in those areas. I, like, I mean, it's a I shorter start? list. Say how the church can't help. I, I just like y'all have celebrate recovery here yeah. and programs like that. So drugs play such a huge role in. So many of the cases, like probably 95% of the cases of kids who are removed, mm-hmm. it's due to there's drug involvement there. And by and the those parents addiction. or the kids or mm-hmm. all of it. I would say primarily by the caregivers, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when they're in those chains of addiction, they're not making wise and safe choices for themselves, much less for their children. And so these are people who love and care for their mm-hmm. kids, but can't care for their kids. Yes. And so when, when a church is, is doing that and providing services like that to the community, that's a piece of that. When y'all are doing food drives, preventing hunger, that's a piece of it. And so the continuum, I think when people hear about this need, they're like, well, I'm not going to foster or adopt. That's okay. You don't even have to like kids. This is a mandate. There's many things the right? church so is supposed to require to do for the community. That's exactly right. And that's what I hope people are confronted yep. with when they hear this, when they see the portraits of Hope Gallery, when that's on display here, the kids who are waiting for adoption, that they're confronted with. This is a reality. What was unseen is now seen. And that they won't won't just say, 
you know, is it fostering or adopting or nothing? What else can I do? Because we all have resources mm-hmm. and talents and time that we could put towards And you don't this. have to look at a bedroom and say, hey, how can I fill the room? Mm-hmm. You can look at your abundance and say, what can I do with it? Mm-hmm. Period, right? You don't have, like you were saying, there's so much, so many different ways to give. And I love what you said about just the, um, how the church can be involved in the different pieces and mm-hmm. that it's a mandate. Explain mm-hmm. why you think it's a mandate. Well, it's just there in the good book, right? That we yeah. should care for yeah. the vulnerable. <laughs> and if you've done it for the least of these and religion, that's true and holy, um, pure and holy. And so it, it is throughout scripture. And um, I think sometimes we do just zoom in on kids and who's taking care of them when it's, it is part of a much larger continuum. Mm-hmm. And so it's encouraging to me that the church already has been and is um, up to our eyeballs and loving others well. And so continuing that, but just, um, you know, wrapping around and, and caring well for those who are opening their homes, those within the body and then within the community, mm. this respite night that you're hosting, you'll care where, you'll care well for the families that are fostering and adopting and bringing in grandkids and nieces and nephews here within your body. But then this is also open to the community. And so there's mm-hmm. people who would not darken the door of a church who are going to show up for this event and we get to love them well mm. until they ask why mm. um, and get to invite them back and show them that we care about them as a family. And so that's, it goes a long way um, for these folks who are in the trenches. So you did a great job of kind of talking about the respite event. Um, say a little bit more about how there's kind of a loophole in the system. That's why churches are able to do it. This is what I've been yes. communicating to. So Say more about that because yeah, I'm going to butcher that. I kind of <laughs> pick up on anytime there's a loophole, I get excited because yeah, I like okay. loopholes. That's uh, where I fit in life is in the loopholes. <laughs> so I mentioned that when we were fostering, we had a really hard time just even getting, and we had our parents here local to help us out too. Uh, shout out to Nana and Pa, me, Maji, Dad. But, um, you know, it, it's, hired, it's hard to find a, a young adult who's willing to go through or a couple who's willing to go through all that training. And then do they have... Um, Wait, real fast. All the training means CPR... First aid, background training. There's paperwork they fill out for the agency yes. that you're with because you're with a fostering agency. Um, and the training is a training like you're watching videos. It's brief, yes, and it depends. It varies, and that's the other thing is it varies agency to agency. So if you and I were both fostering, mm-hmm. and Debbie decides she's going to become, you know, become a babysitter, become licensed to be as a babysitter, if we're at different agencies, she can only sign on with one of us, or she'd have to duplicate training. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's pretty that's convoluted. Brutal. Um, but where the loophole comes in is where a foster family can't just hire a babysitter. They can drop their kids off at school and they can drop their kids off at Sunday school. And so when they show up on Sunday morning and they put their kids in the nursery, those volunteers and, um, you know, employees that are, that are working in the nursery, they're under that umbrella of, Hey, the church has cleared these people Mm -hmm. and y'all are background checking and you're training Mm -hmm. folks and vetting them and, you know, making sure they know the procedures. And so as a foster parent, I can access, you know, worshiping with my church because I can drop off in childcare. So the loophole is that we would extend that to a parents' night out situation. And so you're basically just, you know, serving those families in the same way as you would on a Sunday morning, just for a little bit longer. And then it does have to take place in a church building. Mm. So you couldn't go do it at like a bounce house oh, place or, um, you know, a gymnasium down the street. Cause we do have several foster families here mm. and they bring their kids to our like Friday night yeah. kids stuff and all that. But if we were to go out in another area out of our church 
um, building that we typically use, they would not be able to, their foster kids would not be able to go with That's us. That's right. Oh, see, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Unless it's like a, a daycare, that would be another, another option. Yeah. But like, if we wanted to go to the trampoline park right up the road, mm-hmm. we couldn't no, do not that. not for littler ones. Uh-uh. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. This makes me think though, you're saying that like, that's great that the church and the state can still like work together school. a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Like, the, Oh, but then I'm the like, the state is begging for our help. But it really is doing doing what we're well equipped for and getting those volunteers who care about kids. And I think there's an extra level of training that can go into that, you know, that will be provided where just to understand a little bit about the trauma and, and some behaviors that might look, this child is being really greedy and they've got like four pieces of pizza and they're putting one in their pocket. Well, hang on. This may be a child who's never had a reliable source of food. That's right. And so let's stack up that pizza on a plate and say, buddy, I'm going to carry this and I'm going to walk right alongside you. And you can, your pizza's here for you anytime you want it. Oh, that's and so good. Just, just being open hearted to those yeah. things. And, and it just takes time for them to believe that, right? Mm-hmm. It takes time. It's going to take more than, it can take a long, oh, it time. Take a long yeah. time. Family of origin is such a hard, hard thing. Mm-hmm. So you said, um, the states and begging for our help explain like how how are they what are they need yes. from churches so i mean besides like were, respite nights we've mm-hmm. got respite nights but. yeah res- respite nights are great but yes. that is just a small, small piece, piece of what really the the big c church can be doing here so uh we are in the midst of a crisis where our foster care system they are redesigning how it works and i'm hopeful that there will see some improvement with that but we are just I mean, I've been involved in child welfare for over 20 years, and this mm. is the worst I've ever seen it. Wow. And I know gals and guys who have been involved for 40 years, and they would say the same thing. Oh, wow. It's bad. It's real bad right now. Uh, and so uh, about a year ago, the the state, basically, they're being sued on behalf of foster children who have been harmed and damaged by the system that was intended mm. and created to protect them. And so in the case of this lawsuit, there's been just um, a lot of... Um, a lot of eyes on the situation and a lot of monitoring into the system. And so um, these independent monitors who are looking at the foster care system have said, here's what you need to do to improve. And so in, in answer to that in federal court, our system said, here, here's what we're going to work on. Here's the milestones that are going to help improve this. And right there in black and white, they said, we need faith communities. We need the church. We cannot do it That's without awesome. you. And so if, if CPS or the or Family Protective Services ever says, nah, no thanks, church. Oh, nope. You you already asked for it and mm-hmm. we're here. And yeah. we have not found we have not found the system to be they're yeah, desperate. So, yeah. Because they don't want to spend nights in the building every four hours and switching mm-mm, in and out or mm-mm. the workers don't like the CPS yeah. workers. And they didn't I mean, who who gets a social work degree? <laughs> These are people who care. Yes. Yeah. And they're in this. They're, it's certainly not for position. the money. It's not for no, the money. It's no. not for like oh they're gosh. it's not for the fancy cars or the fancy clothes yeah. or Justice. nothing. I mean it's the resources are stretched so thin and they are doing what they can with yeah. what they have. And that's where we can come alongside and augment and improve. And instead of pointing fingers or, or again, just being upset at a system that's broken yeah. being, we're, we're going to be the solution that ultimately, I mean, that's my prayer is that one day um, other States and the federal government, everyone would look and say, gosh, what fixed Texas's foster care system? Oh, and the answer be cool. would be the, the church, church, the church. Mm-hmm. Give well, it was funny. I spent a summer at Gainesville at the Juvenile Detention Center, mm-hmm. and um, I was there teaching um, their the emotionally disturbed behavior disorder kids. But they had a faith based dorm there, and it's the dorm everybody wanted to be in. Even in that situation, even a really hard place like the detention center, the best place to be was in the faith built mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. there within the horrible. 
Um, 70% of people who are in prison in Texas today spent time in the foster care system. 70%. 70%? You're saying adult prisons even. Yeah. Not just juvenile. You're saying adult. Mm -hmm. That's heartbreaking. The crisis is working Mm -hmm. its way up. Heartbreaking. And and the trajectory that those folks were on, so much of it obviously started in childhood. Yeah, of course. And so we can hope to redeem and correct and invest in while they're little. Um, And if not all the undoing has to be done when they're adults. And that's a harder mm. battle to fight Much by harder. the time they're well set in their ways. And that's been, instead of the story of five years of their life, 30 years of their life, 40 years of their life. I mean, God's not done with anybody yet, Mm-mm. but, um, <sighs> but if we can intervene earlier. And so even, um, I talk a lot about what is best for kids and, and we can say, okay, less abuse or neglect. We want to keep kids safe. We want them in a healthy environment and all of that. But what is good for kids is often also good for the bottom line. And so these early interventions, when we're keeping a family, an at-risk family in our community whole and loving them well and helping those kids not come into foster care, I mean, think about Mm. the cost of foster care, the cost of incarceration and the cost of the adult, you know, the adult's journey through all of that in the courts and all of those resources that that go into a life that's on a trajectory that likely could have been changed if Mm. they had been well cared for as as a child. So we're having a respite event, respite night. Yay. Here at Frisco First. Here Frisco First. Foster families are welcome. Um. But how can, so the doors close, everybody goes home. How do we continue caring for those foster families if there are people that are like, I want to help, I want to do something. I'm not going to foster and I'm not going to adopt. Give us ideas on what we can do. Tangible ideas on what yeah. to do. Well, if someone volunteered at that and they worked with a child, um, a little challenging friend who maybe gave them a run for their money, uh, it would be great to reach out to that family and just say, hey, I really loved working with little Jeremiah at the respite night, just got to know him. And if he would like to come back for VBS, I want to be his buddy. I want to make sure he can oh, navigate the activities idea. like any other kid. I will walk alongside him all week long if you'll bring him. And just, the, I mean, the the relief families feel when they come back and they're mm. greeted with a kind word yeah. and their kid made it all night because I've had kids, I, I sent a kid to a day camp for kids in foster care. And he got the boot and I was like, Oh my gosh, they cannot even handle him for six hours. Um, and that was just, it grieved me so deeply because it's like, it was designed for him and he couldn't find success there. And so I think caring for those kids well, and then following up with those families, um, and serving them, you know, offering to, uh, you know, send over pizza or drop by with a casserole, those kinds of things as birthdays or holidays roll around, I think one thing to keep in mind, it's real fun to think about like, oh, I would love to buy a kid Christmas presents and all of that. And there might be a place for that. But, you know, can you can you slip that mom a a Visa gift card or Mm -hmm. something and just say, hey, make this Christmas special for all your kids. I know you've got bio kids and foster kids in your home. Y'all y'all go bowling on me. Y'all go get a few little things to stocking stuffers just so that you preserve the normalcy of that family. Um, and be real discreet. About I would think it. like DoorDash or something where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I've had it for the night. I can't cook another meal. And you've got but to a impose good DoorDash, help right? On these folks because you, you the, the ones yes. that are opening their homes, they're high capacity. They've That's already right. said yes. They are, yeah. again, keeping all these plates spinning. And so I know people right here in this church approached me and said, oh my goodness, you've got these two little ones. Can we babysit sometime? And 
it was prideful, but I said, oh no, we've got it. And I, I sure as heck did not have it. I did not. Um, but I just wanted to be, I need, I felt like I need to be what they need and no, Mm -hmm. thank you. And if I accepted help that I would be somehow letting these kids down, Mm -hmm. the Lord worked that out of me. It's gone now, (laughs) but, um, if you want to send a casserole now, I will send you my address, but, um, (laughs) but I turned away help and I'm grateful for people who really did lean into it. You've seen a lot, done a lot everything. How do you stop from being jaded and cynical? Oh my gosh. That's the best question of this whole podcast. Cause mm. you're so sweet and kind. I would have oh been gosh. and just energetic oh. and, and embracing still people. Crying. You still I love cry, the salty. I, yes. I think that's, but key. how do it's you just... keep from again, being jaded, cynical and bitter? And cause there's so much you can't change. Mm-hmm. How do you accept that and move on with the things you can? But anyway, the uh, answer, the Jaded and cynical. Um, I, you you do have to have a tough skin to some to some extent and let things roll off your back, mm. but just not seeing it as just another child or just another name. One of our core values at Embrace is to that we let our hearts be broken, and that it would never just be another portrait we're putting in the portrait gallery, another kid we're recruiting for, but that we would know them and we would know their story and we would continue to care and see them for the individual that they are and see them through God's eyes. And so we really. When we're, we put photos up on our website or we're preparing for an adoption match event, we're praying over each one of those kids mm-hmm. and we really want to know what their story is and just never become calloused. Just, and it sounds like it sounds terrible and in some ways it is just to be raw all the time. But the alternative is... Is cynical. Yeah. That's good. It's like, I mean, Jesus said, right? Whoever welcomes any of these welcomes me. Mm-hmm. So you're welcoming Jesus every time. So if you're going to care... I mean, you have to, that's a great answer. I love that. Let your heart be broken. And it was, yeah. And I can't imagine being willing to be open that many times to that over and over and over. But I, that makes sense really. Right. Cause you're, and you're giving that grief to God in so many ways because you, we can't fix it all here. Mm-hmm. So how many actually foster kids came through your home? Do you have like a foster kid count? Mm-hmm. We, we actually have a list of all their names that we just Aww. keep and look back over and pray over. And it's been 30 kids now. So we fostered for formally for 10 years and then just being interacting with the families we do and being in the place that we are, there's always a story that doesn't quite fit in and there's a a child that needs a place to go. And so, um, still my husband doesn't really flinch if I say, Hey, set up the crib. I'm on my way home. He's like, all right. (laughs) And pulling it out of the attic because those things still just pop up here and there. And yeah. So. so you have some CPS workers you work with all the time then just connections. People mm-hmm. know to call you at yeah, this point. Yeah. They know to, um, which is amazing. 30 kids in yeah. and out. And then you kept four, five, five. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. four bio. And I kept my said. bio kids too. Did your oldest daughter stay the oldest or did somebody come in above her? Nope. Um, so we adopted her, my oldest son when she was six. So we had a six-year-old, a four-year-old and a two-year-old when we adopted a 16 year old okay. and that's still our oldest son. That's a 30 year old. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we adopted a sibling group of three and then we had one more bio baby on the bottom and then we adopted another 16 year old. Okay. You have and a heart have, for the older. We have three grandkids. Yes. I love teenagers. Yeah, I do too. If they don't need deodorant, they don't need me. That's right. That's where my connection happens is the big kids. I like that. And so I do they all, they all still come home for Christmas and Thanksgiving? And yeah, mostly. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. They're kind of about their adult lives. And, yes. um, yeah. you know, but we do see a lot. They both live here locally. And um, it's really sweet. It's a bittersweet thing seeing your 
um, you know, your bigs kind of move out and be out on their own. And, mm. uh, we had a couple kids where we, on Valentine's day, we did like a little fancy dinner at home and like made pasta and lit candles and all this with the kids. Yeah. And at the last minute, I, one kid picked up a shift and another one was going out and da, da, da. Yeah. And so I looked up and there was three kids at the table. And one of my sons said, um, mom, look at this. This is how it'll be one day, every night. Cause I mean, there, there's some sweetness in that and, you know, seeing yeah. them become adults, but also it's hard. I'm sure when my little chickies leave the nest. Well, it sounds so. like they may leave, but they don't go far. There's going to be more coming in yeah, <laughs> and they don't go far. Yeah. So, okay. well, thank you so much. We'll ask lightning round no, now, but I mean, it was so great to hear from you. My pleasure. I know this, yeah. I was very on. moved by this interview. So it's good. Yeah. So we do what we call lightning round questions. Very superficial. Okay. Very easy. Very topical. What is the last show that you binge watched and loved? Hmm. See, super easy. <laughs> Tossing you some softballs. Now, if she's been able to binge watch anything, I'll be impressed. But maybe that's oh, like her happy place. Maybe you she's do. not like self care. Well, yeah. <laughs> maybe she's not like a reader. She's like it's I survivor. Just Survivor. And it's old, it's old episodes. I never watched it when it was on. I don't know. Is oh, it yeah. still on? Yeah. Believe it or not, it is. Okay. Well, it's like season 48. I don't yeah, even know. Yeah. So I'm going back and watching old ones on Netflix. Wow. But I sit there with my teenagers. And the it's old ones were the best. My yeah. husband and I, that was must-see TV for us back in the day. That was oh, like really? day and, Yeah. Those are the was old on ones Thursday were the best. Night? Well, now they're all streaming. It was so on Thursday night. A whole all season. And... But you watch it with your kids, too. With my That's big kids. With my teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. That's very fun. Okay. What is something that people often get wrong about you? I think, be, I think it would be, I think it would, what you said about being sweet, because I don't actually think I am that sweet. <laughs> I think I'm a little salty, but, um, people mistakenly think my husband and I are brother and sister. So that's a, oh, do y'all look alike? We're both redheaded and tall. Oh, funny. Oh. Yes. And extremely good looking. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, but yeah. And so especially there. when we were teenagers, people would say, oh, is that your, your brother's here to pick you up? And I was like, my brother Love does it. not pick me up from work. And it was, which we, <laughs> it we was your husband. It was my husband. <laughs> but we talked about this before we started the podcast. Y'all are high school sweethearts. We are. You met each other, not at the same high school, Mm-mm. but back when you were in high school on days. On a blind date when we yeah. were in high school. And it's been... and he grew up here. Yes. Yep. You went to Frisco story? High School. And um, I started coming to church uh, here at Frisco's first when the, he had also started coming here and um, when he was in the youth group. And so I came as well and went to camp. And then ultimately, uh, we were volunteered with the student ministry and he was interim for a while when one pastor left before another one came on and then we're in young married's class and all that this was kind of a little um incubator for our family it's so, awesome so we kind of go way back so this great. feels like home for us so oh that's sweet okay switching gears what's your biggest pet peeve <laughs> uh, hmm. people um squishing a water bottle the sound that it makes when a kid is like crumpling a water bottle in their hand uh, don't you love it when they're popping it do yours it pop just it right really now? i cranks cranks it up real fast for me Oh, and yes. I'm sure all the kids know not to do that. They, do. my kids do. Yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> they sure do. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so the noisy narrative, which is what this podcast is called, is about cutting through the noise and getting to the heart of the matter. What is your narrative right now? Kind of like fill in the blank. What season are you in? Blank narrative. Mm. There's Kleenex. If as you're thinking about. Okay, it. I'm gonna say this is my surfing narrative, and I'm not. I'm surfing. from Texas, and I don't surf, but just. That we're, uh, I feel like I've kind of found my footing and we're, the waves still come, but we're just, we're kind of a, just surfing on top of the water. All that. Yeah. Oh. And whatever comes, we're just, you know, we're going to so keep good. our footing. So profound. It is. So. That's a good one. Yeah. That's I like great. That. Surf- That's a good word too. Yep. Surfing narrative. Okay. You are in heaven 
and you were looking down at your funeral, what do you hope people say about you? They cannot say that she was good and faithful servant or that she loved Jesus a lot. Because we know that about you already. So okay. you got to be something hmm. unique I say to good you. faithful, and I'll look to Debbie to make sure I got that right. She hmm. says you can't say She was you fun love while Jesus. she lasted. <laughs> She was fun while she lasted. Yeah, I hope my great. celebration of, lo- of life is fun and funny. That's the way I want mine to be. Yeah. We're not mourning anything. I'm in heaven. This is I'm, I'm making my last wishes clear. I already know where I'm going. I'm not worried about yeah. it. Do you have your songs Don't picked out for me? Funeral? Oh, yeah. My kids know it. Shut the front door. What are oh, they? Yeah. They're going to cremate me and throw me out over a field of blue bonnets. Um, and where are they going to sing? Yeah. What are your songs? Where are they going to sing as they are throwing you Ava out? Brothers song. It's not really it's- Oh, what is it? Ava? No hard feelings. Oh, I don't know the Avid <laughs> okay. Brothers. I'm going to have to look that Well, one that's up. your homework. Go Google I am. Avid Brothers. Avery Brothers. Avid. No, Avid, Avid, Avid Brothers. Brothers. No hard feelings. Yeah. This has been and so fun. And some worship fun. songs. There'll be some worship songs. No, too. you don't have to include worship songs. You'll be worshiping in heaven. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. Well, this was amazing. We would lo- I'd love to have you back because I think there's so many little rabbit trails we didn't even follow. Um, about even like kind of niche things the church can do, um, particular things. So I think um, we need to do that. And also our respite night is Saturday, April 15th. Mm-hmm. And we would love to have volunteers. If you're listening to this, we are recruiting shamelessly right now. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to um, volunteer, we for need a hundred volunteers. We do almost mm-hmm. one per kid per yep. one per mm-hmm. friend, because yep. they're so because they, they just need us. They're high. They just need us. They just high needs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And let yes. me tell y'all, when we hosted our first respite night, we had about a hundred kids there and we had about 80 to a hundred volunteers. And when that last kid was out the door, we were just totally exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I thought these volunteers are never going to come back. That was the longest night. We're all exhausted. And literally before I got home, there were emails saying, sign me up for next time. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we have people come back time and time again. Because just because you're tired or just because it's hard doesn't mean it was wrong or bad or you can't mm-hmm. do it again. That's going to equate to like so. our new tired because we even joke like on our group text, if you're tired, you're VBS tired. Yeah. Or you're how tired are you? I'm Camp <laughs> Chaos tired. tired. I'm VBS yeah. tired. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, you're done. A so whole another level. Whole nother thing of respite night yes. tired. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's but good. then you rest and you do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think I that's, that's a good, good word. That's great. Great, great, great. All right. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, if you want to volunteer, you can go to our friscofirst.church website. You can go on there to volunteer or you can email Christy or myself and we can send you the link to volunteer. If you're listening and you actually have foster or adoptive children, you can sign up to mm-hmm. leave your children with us. We'll take them. We want them. We want mm-hmm. them. And then you can go out and enjoy um, a night out. Right. So anyway, um, until next week, that's it from us at Noisy Narratives. Um, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Life can be a